friends and comrades, hello. Uh, welcome to the uh, welcome to the latest episode of the uh, Highlands Bunker podcast. Uh, what you may have uh, gleaned uh, by now, especially if you're a, a regular listener of the podcast, that our latest episode is also late. Well, we've been struck by what it seems like we've been struck by the COVID. Uh, the only person who was able to uh, provide these on the internet for you, uh, super producer Carl, was was uh, was under the weather uh, for several days. Uh, but is uh, is is on the mend, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm just glad you're on the mend because I know this stuff's tricky, man. My my brother Kenny uh, had the same thing. It was like I think he was due to get his booster, and it got like rescheduled or something. Same thing happened to me. And then in the meantime, he got COVID, and he was out of commission three four days, and it was very similar to what you're talking about, like like um, you know chills. Um, can't tell if you have a fever or if your temperature's low, like just body pain, um, that kind of stuff. So it was like sort of the same symptoms, but it was very so similar to to that. But I'm I'm glad you're you're pulling out. How's your mom? How's your, how's how's everybody else? I mean, how, how you were home, so I guess your mom and dad are 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 all right. Yep, dad has been totally fine throughout the whole thing. My mom was testing positive for about two weeks and just um, got. Or just just tested negative um, yesterday, I believe, for the first time. So, now what was good. what were her symptoms like? Uh, it was more traditional, like she had a cough, fatigue, stuff like that. Nothing okay. awful, but just kind of not not feeling oh, gotcha. good. Well, the good news is uh, we have uh, an episode for you coming up. Uh, Greg Layton, who is with the Food and Water Watch in Sussex County, uh, talks uh, about his background. Um, it's it's pretty interesting. Uh, also, he touches on an issue that we covered in the call, which is uh, the biogas plant uh, in Seaford, and there's another one uh, in in some uh, some manner of of progress. I don't think it's as far along as the I don't think it has the the, the proper permits and, and sort of a blessing as the other. But um, there's going to be another one, and I noticed um, today that there is going to be uh, some canvassing there. Let me see if I can pull that up. Um, <clears throat> there's going to be some canvassing on this issue. I think this Saturday from two to four thirty. Uh, I don't know if there is um, a link to it, but I know some people from Working Families Party are involved, uh, Susan Clifford and some others. So um, hopefully we can put that up on this episode um, and just drive more people's attention to this issue in Sussex. Um, do you know anything about that, uh, Carl? That the the, um, the canvassing that's going on. Yep, so it is coming up this weekend, if I remember correctly. I'm going to be meeting uh, in Seaford, because it's right down outside of Seaford. Um, this is something that, obviously, Greg's been working on for a while. Um, a couple uh, WFP folks who live down there have been involved for a little bit as well, and they also know at a certain time that some other environmental groups down there, like uh, Sussex Health Environmental Network, they had been involved. Um, so this is definitely not something that like we are starting or really even taking the lead on, but wanted to sort of put it out there more publicly um, for folks who do live in Sussex that want to canvas around something that is sort of going to directly affect a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's going to directly affect people, and it's a good opportunity to get people together and say, hey, there are groups that are organizing around this. There are groups that, um, you know, you can, you, you can get involved with and get the, get the word out. Um, you'll get more information about some of the details in a few moments when we begin uh, our new episode. Um, before we do that, uh, one other thing I'd like to plug is um, Delaware Call, obviously. We, we, we just put up a, a really exciting piece uh, from our old friend and comrade, uh, Dana Case, uh, who had moved from Wilmington to Chicago last year. Um, she was a teacher in the Colonial School District. She's now a teacher in Chicago and a member of the Chicago Teachers Union. Um, I think the essay is fantastic, and I was really pumped that we had a a platform available um, for her to to write her open letter back to the teachers here in Delaware. Um, in your in your state, uh, Carl, were you able to were, did you did you catch that? Uh, were you able to see that when we put it up um, last week? I have not read the full thing yet. No. Yeah, it, it's 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 good. Uh, I mean, uh, as we know, um, you know, Dana was involved in uh, food not bombs and setting that organization up in Wilmington. Um, you know, she is a comrade of ours and she's been out in the street with us. Um, she talks about 
um, the actions she's done in Wilmington. She's talked about what it was like uh, being part of the Delaware um, State Education Association Union. And uh, she also talked about the impact of COVID here in Delaware and in Chicago. Um, if everybody's been following the news, um, they'll know that um, there's, there's quite a um, sort of a labor battle going on uh, in Chicago about schools and teachers. Um, so it's, if, if, um, if that's something that you're interested in, I was really pumped um, to be able um, to have that platform. Um, you know, Ray, Ray Krantz, our community editor, did a great job, um, and I think it's a great piece. So I encourage everybody to go, to go check it out, uh, Dana Case's new uh, op-ed in the Delaware Call. Um, so um, we all have more stuff ready for you. We're going to be talking to Ty Greer, our comrade and friend. We're going to be talking to um, to commentator uh, and academic Ben Burgess about his book, his recent book about Christopher Hitchens. We're going to be talking about uh, Governor Carney's ideas about what to do with the school districts uh, in Wilmington. Uh, we're going to have a, uh, a a red clay school board member in to discuss. Um, so yeah, stick with us. Um, you know, we, uh, we ran into, uh, we ran into COVID finally here at the bunker, but, uh, we're, we're back, uh, we're, we're back on track and, uh, we're just very happy that, uh, that Carl is, uh, is on the mend. So, um, thank you, Carl. Um, we will, uh, we'll talk to you soon and, uh, remember left is best. So my wife, and the listeners will know this, my wife is from the Eastern Shore of Maryland. Um, she still has family there. And uh, I did going down there. I like going to the beach. But I like going to, like, um, you know, um, campsites in Salisbury and, and, and further west. So we have friends down there who, when I met them 12 years ago or so, uh, live near the beach, near, live near Fenwick Island. And subsequently, I guess maybe six years ago, they bought a piece of property a little further west, a little further north. We'll just say it like that. It was out in the woods. And they built a house on it and had like a shed and a shop that backed up to a creek that was there. And they had a little campground there. Um, They built a house for the um, mother-in-law and a pool. And so you went, you went down a country road, and you would go down this lane through the woods. It was about maybe a quarter mile, third, you know, maybe a third of a mile back to, like, the compound or whatever. And, then, you know, it was, an, it was a nice place. I, I, I'm not, a, like, a, a rural guy, but it was, it was a cool place to go hang out. They had a bunch of stuff there and whatever. So just at Christmas time, a couple weeks ago, we go down to visit. We haven't been down there uh, in about – we were there for the 4th of July. But with COVID, we don't get down there that and we drove down the dirt lane, and all of the, the wooded area to the, to the right was being cleared out by heavy machinery. Trees down, like cleared out. <clears throat> and I said, I guess he's getting a neighbor. And, um, and Susan was like, oh, I'm not sure. It's like, I, I said, I think everything, like his property is to the left of us driving in. This is all somebody else, and they're, they're clearing it. This can't be good. So we get there, we say hello, we sit down, we hadn't seen each other, and, and then we sit down to dinner, and uh, I said, finally to, to our host, I said, uh, looks like you're, you're getting a neighbor. He's like, we're getting 115 neighbors. So he's getting smoked with, uh, with development, and again, this is like, like I said, maybe 15, 20 minutes northwest of like Fenwick Island, like the stuff that's down there. So, um, it's a thing, and it's 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 something that people are going to have to reckon with, and I don't feel like people are reckoning with it at all. No. So, uh, comrades and friends, uh, we're here again in Bunker Studio in the shadow of Rockford Tower, behind enemy lines in the belly of the Delaware Way Beast. We're in a uh, we're in a we're in a weird situation right now. Our 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 anchor, uh, super producer Carl is down uh he he got the booster the covid booster uh yesterday evening and uh 
he's struggling. He's gone through that that second day sort of like malaise, and uh, he was not able to join us. Also, tonight we were going to celebrate um, the great network organizer Kirsten Walther's birthday. She did bring over cupcakes. It's her birthday today, but she has to go take care of Carl. Because who knows what's going on over in that bachelor pad? We don't know what the fuck's going on over there. You know, is there is there proper liquids? Is there ibuprofen? We don't know. When's the last time they've done laundry? Who knows? So we're in a skeleton crew, but I am happy to introduce our guest today. Um, he uh, is an environmental uh, activist for Food and Water Watch, uh, and uh, he's a Delaware resident. And I think we're going to talk a little bit about the fact that he's uh, currently, or has recently, I should say, become um, sort of connected with the Working Families Party, which you know is a big thing with us. So I want to welcome uh, Greg Layton. Greg, thank you for coming in. Thanks a lot, Rob. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, So for like local folks, we always start with like, um, where are you from? how, How did you grow up? What was it like? And and if there was anything about that experience um, that, like, drove you to sort of uh, advocacy or activism or sort of, like, the issues that you uh, are interested in today. Sure. Um, a lot, actually. Um, I was born and raised near Milford on the Kent-Sussex line. Uh, my father was a science teacher, uh, raised on a farm. And uh, you just talked about the uh, changing environment um, that you experienced in Sussex County. And that's what my father saw. That's what I saw. We'd grow up driving places. He'd say, well, that that field, that used to be a forest. That used to be a forest. Oh, that used to be a field. Now it's a housing development. And left and right, everywhere we went, things had changed. Places were, uh, And as I got older, I'm close to 50. As I got older, I saw things change. Places where I used to drive in Sussex County along what is now Route 1, where we used to see flocks of tens of thousands of Canada geese, they're now outlets. Um, I grew up uh, fishing and swimming in places like Killens Pond in Kent County and Trap Pond in Sussex County. Neither of those places are legally, they used to have fishing or swimming beaches at both of those places. State parks with, with swimming beaches, inland, with fresh water. It's amazing. Can't do that anymore because there's too much bacteria and too much nitrogen pollution. They've just shut them down. So I grew up, I watched all this stuff changing. Uh, Long story short, uh, spent a few years in journalism, covered uh, nutrient pollution for the Delaware State News, covered the creation of um, then-Governor Carper's Nutrient Management Commission, which in my opinion doesn't go nearly far enough, and uh, learned about uh, a lot of the environmental degradation that is happening because of the poultry industry. So now, after a few years in education as a a high school teacher and a few years as a public relations officer for the state, um, I've been in activism full-time for about a year, uh, focusing on the issues uh, surrounding the poultry industry, particularly these uh, two anaerobic digesters or factory farm gas facilities that are proposed for Sussex County. Yeah, let's talk about that because I can tell you um, I think it was the, the same trip, the same holiday trip, uh, that I talked about before my mother-in-law sort of came up to me and she's like, how's this, how's this podcasting gig going? You know, so no, you know, and I said, uh, it's going pretty well. You know, we have, uh, you know, uh, also I'm, I'm editing this website and we're able to do news and, and, and things like that. And, and she was very concerned because they get the, uh, the Salisbury times or whatever, the, the same as the Gannett. Uh, yeah, the Delmarva yeah. thing. At the, you know. Delmarva now, but they get yeah, they get they get the paper delivered still every day, and um, she was reading just like a basic. It was just basic environmental issues. I'm not even sure what the premise of the thing was, but it was basically just to say, you know, some of these facts and figures that are coming in don't look good for the Eastern Shore, whatever mm-hmm. it was. And uh, and I told her, I said, you know, as a matter of fact, we did a story in the Delaware Call about the biogas plant in Seaford. I said, you know, it's a very um, interesting subject because on one hand, you know, a few years ago we were worried about just spraying waste into a field that, you know, polluted everybody's well water. So now we take the waste and we go burn it 
or process it. You maybe you can explain yeah, it better. Obviously. Yeah, you can explain it better than I could. But we do that, um, you know, in you know around people that you know um, can't really fight back. It's not it's not any cleaner necessarily. Um, but yeah, I know that's a big one of the big issues right now is these um, is poultry waste and biogas. Can you explain a little bit about what these plants are and maybe even go back and talk about a little bit of the history about why we're looking to do something different with this sort of toxic stuff that um, is just, you know, sprayed on people's property and, and poisoning their water? Sure. Um, I'll try to give his overview as best I can. Um, I've got to look up the, st- the statistic to make sure it's accurate, but it, there's millions of tons of poultry manure, what they call litter, which is poultry manure mixed with bedding, uh, spread on Delmarva every year. Because Sussex County is the number one poultry raising county in the country, and chickens eat and chickens shit. And the chicken shit has to go somewhere. Uh, Traditionally, that has been uh, spread on local farm fields to be used as fertilizer. And while that's good in the short term for the farmers because it's a low-cost fertilizer, um, it ultimately seeps into the groundwater and pollutes the residents' uh, drinking water, and it washes into rivers and bays, and 90% of Delaware's waterways are unfit for fishing or swimming under the standards of the Clean Water Act uh, because of it. So you've been in activism. You know people love to scream, do something, do something. We need to do something. Well, do something is not always very specific. And we can do things that are beneficial and we can do things that are harmful and still claim that we've done something. In this case, the poultry industry has come up with this plan to run poultry waste through what they call anaerobic digesters. Um, Another word for them is a methane refinery um, to produce natural gas, factory farm gas to use to power electricity and, and industry. How this works is they take the waste um, in some cases, the manure and litter in other cases, the factory farm or the slaughterhouse sludge, the blood guts, leftover at the end of the oils, fats, and greases. And they put it in this container, suck out all the air, introduce microorganisms, and the waste releases methane, which, like I said, is is to be sold and used to power electricity. The thing is, the waste doesn't disappear. The poultry industry can say, well, we've done something. We turned it into methane. Well, you extracted some methane from it, but you didn't make the waste disappear. What's left over are the bodies of these microorganisms that fed on the waste, and that has to go somewhere. Now, at this point, the poultry industry sort of drops the conversation or or is less specific, but basically they're going to sell this waste as fertilizer the same as they used the waste before this process. So ultimately, it's going to end up on farm fields. Um, Because fertilizer is expensive for farmers and it's difficult to transport, uh, Food and Water Watch, my organization, believes that a lot of it is going to end up spread on Delaware farm fields, which is exactly where the waste goes now. Yeah, so basically we're talking about a process by which Methane is extracted and can be used for, you know, other business needs and sold as a commodity. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's still a byproduct uh, that we're still dealing with. And so it's one of those, I mean, I feel like we get into this conversation all the time. Uh, it's a difference between, like, I think you, you put it well. It's like, we want to do something. And the only thing we can think to do is to take this sludge and and guts and byproduct and and chicken shit and we can extract out of that something useful for the economy now we still have the byproducts of this sludge and chicken shit Mm -hmm. but we've done something to extract some commodity out of it and then the byproduct is more or less the same i mean what is there um is there good science or or studies about you know, has the byproduct of this 
changed chemically in any way by just extracting natural gas from it? The the research that I've seen, Food and Water Watch has done a couple papers on it that I can share with you, and some University of Maryland scientists have also looked at these issues. Uh, it's for one thing, it's more water soluble. So when it, the rain falls on it, it's more likely to enter the water table and people's drinking water. Uh, a fact that I like to raise, it's sort of my number one issue lately, is that Delaware leads the nation in uh, wells polluted with nitrates. Uh, the number two state, Maryland, has, I believe, 20 or 30-some percent of their wells polluted with nitrates. Delaware has over 50% of their wells polluted with nitrates. Nitrates are harmful because they can cause birth defects, deformities, um, something called blue baby syndrome, which is where the child doesn't get enough uh, oxygen to their organs. Um, and Delaware leads or is in the top 10 in the nation, and by top 10, I mean the 10 worst in the nation for children with disabilities and children with developmental delays. And a University of Maryland study believes that this is strongly linked to the pollution from the poultry industry. Now, like you said, they are taking something useful from it. Uh, you could say useful. The methane, when burned from one plant alone, will be equivalent to 198 million vehicle miles traveled. So this does have an impact on our uh, climate. But yeah, it's, still a, it's still a carbon-based uh, fuel, right. I guess you would say. They like to say it's not fossil fuel because it doesn't come from fossils. Right. But it's still carbon-based fuel. Um, the other thing this does is it provides money for the poultry industry. I mean, I always use the an analogy of trash. If I was paid to put trash on the curb every week, I would probably produce more trash. So this is an incentive for the poultry industry to create more waste. Yeah, can you talk a little bit about the incentive? Because I really put this issue into... <clears throat> and I used the word before commodity. I put it into issues that we face, say, in Wilmington, mm -hmm. where you you just you're all you're looking to do is commodify something. It doesn't necessarily make the situation better, but you've fed the market and you've given you've taken some value out of it, and so you can say that you've done you know something yeah. something. So what what um and usually this is done, especially in Delaware, but everywhere. With incentives, with tax breaks, with free money, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, I mean, can you talk a little bit about um, the incentives uh, and and how that works for, say, Mount Air or, or Purdue or whoever is going to be sort of operating this way? Well, Purdue has a 20-year contract with one of these plants um, and the, the Bioenergy Devco plant near Seaford. So, and they're going to be looking for other uh, companies to have partnerships with as well, such as Mount Air. So they'll be getting money from this uh, process. Uh, I don't know specifically what form it will take, but Governor Carney, a month or two back, released his climate action plan that uh, in 122 pages, or 112 pages, I believe, mentions renewable natural gas 22 times and promotes it as a big solution to our climate problems. So we believe, or we fear, that ultimately this uh, factory farm gas will be incentivized by the state in some form. And at the very least, they can now put a green label on methane. You know, uh, Chesapeake Utilities, which sells the methane, the natural gas, uh, right now a lot of that comes from fracking, which has gotten a bad reputation, and deservedly so. But now they can say, well, it's green, it's renewable, it's coming from organic sources. And so... Um, that's how the, the incentives work. It, it gives the fossil fuel industry a new green label to wear, and it possibly uh, comes in, falls in for some state financing uh, directly or indirectly. Yeah, I mean, I'm again, I'm not a chemist, uh, but I'm I'm a little bit familiar just based on following like these environmental issues. You know, methane is not a clean gas to burn or to create. Like, I mean, I think people sort of understand that. I, I just, again, this fits into our sort of construct of, you know, it really doesn't matter what the impact to everybody is. If, if some way you can commodify it, you can point to that and say, well, that's the solution. See what we've, we've done. We've, we've been able to monetize it in some fashion. And so, 
there you go. Right. But that actually, when when you look at it the way that you know I look at things, that's actually not even a solution. I think the argument on the other side is well, something like as you said, there's some solution. We're doing something, but actually, what you're doing is something that I don't like. The 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 end result is just commodification, and so I, I we already know that that doesn't that's not going to work for what we're looking to to have happen. You know, it's it's just able to suck some more money out of, you know, maybe suck a couple more nickels out of a pile of shit. Right, exactly. That's all it is. And it, it keeps Delaware and the nation from transitioning to things like uh, geothermal or wind or solar, things that are truly renew- renewable. And in investing in this factory farm gas is just going to put more money into the infrastructure and into the existing systems. So it's, we really need to get off of the, uh, the carbon-based fuels as quickly as possible because of the climate. But this just extends the lifespan and uh, makes people feel a little bit better about it, even though it's the same old, same old. Yeah. What is your, what's your position? I mean, whether it's personal or, or sort of if you have some scientific, because I, I actually don't know exactly how all of this works. But I know the big pushback on wind and solar is there's no real way to harness it and store it. There's no battery power. The battery power is not good enough to be able to, say, have the same amount of energy all the time when it's not windy or the sun's not out, say. Um, Now, I don't think most of the reason we don't have, you know, the wind turbines here seems to be that people have, you know, investment properties and they don't want to look at a windmill. That kind of seems what the what, what the the real reason we do. But if we did have it, what are what are some of the are, are there some significant drawbacks that we need to be able to say we've we've addressed, like say battery storage or backup uh, or or something like that. That's not really my area of expertise. Gotcha. I, I, I do know that I believe Orsted is the name of the company is bringing, um, I believe, is bringing uh, wind power off of the. Atlantic Coast, uh, down near Fenwick and some of the areas you mentioned. That's gotten a lot of pushback. And I know people are concerned about things like uh, the bird population because uh, turbines do kill birds. But globally, we believe that uh, climate change kills more birds. Yeah, I mean, birds, uh, skyscrapers with uh, glass windows kill birds. Right. At at, At much higher rates than wind turbines kill birds. So yes, that it, it is true that they do do that, but um, as I said, I think a lot. The my only concern with that sort of energy is I don't understand enough about the science to know whether, um, you know, it's going to be able to produce as much as people, at least as much as people use now. Um, so it's just something we have to talk about. But yeah, the idea of any kind of aesthetic problem or um, yeah, it kills birds. I mean, that's just nonsense. As far as I can tell, you know. Yeah, I I, th- I see a lot of the pushback in Sussex County has been on these types of things have been this aesthetic. People don't want it near their their property. Um, I know in Somerset County, Maryland, south of Salisbury, um, there have been wind and um, solar plants uh, both sort of shut down or prevented from opening um, or being built even uh, due to aesthetic concerns. People don't want them in their neighborhood. Um, when I talked to them about environmental reasons, they're like, oh, we don't want to talk about that. That's not an issue. It's just we don't want it here. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder if people had the same problem with telephone poles when they strung out, like, telephone and electrical lines on telephone poles in the street. Like, it's it's sort of odd what people uh, seem to obsess over. Oh, I'm sure. I, I could sit for five minutes and come up with 100 arguments against telephone poles if I wanted to make that argument. Yeah. You know, cars crash into them. Um what about lightning? You could make up all kinds of things if you wanted yeah. to be concerned. So Food and Water Watch, it's a national organization. Mm-hmm. Um, how how did you get connected to it? And like, what what is your connection to it? Is it like a, is it a network? Are you networked with sort of other states, just like a national organization? Mm-hmm. And what does that mean sort of here locally uh, as far as like um, your priorities, your resources, and sort of like how you go about doing organizing here? Sure. Um, I'm a paid employee. I'm, a, I'm the Delaware organizer. I'm the only staff person in Delaware. We are a national organization, and I am networked with 
other activists in other states, Maryland, for example, were thinking about uh, creating a more regional approach uh, to some of these issues um, that's not been formalized yet. How I found out about it was I talk about the poultry industry all the time and have for decades, and my friends know that. And actually, my eighth grade English teacher, who I've kept in touch with on Facebook, saw the advertisement and said, this is perfect for Greg. He has communication skills. He knows a little bit about the issue. He's local, and he would enjoy it. And and absolutely, it's probably been my, my best career decision. Who is this eighth grade English teacher? Her name is Greer Stangle. Greer Stangle. Um, and uh, what, what school was this in eighth grade? Milford Middle School. Milford Middle. Uh, big shout out. How about that? I, I, I uh, well, yeah, and you, and you said you, you had, you taught for a few years. Yes. Uh, where did you teach? I taught at Dover High School for about five years. Okay. I taught high school English. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm always, um, very, I have a, I have a fairly negative outlook on a lot of things, <laughs> cynical outlook on a lot of things. When I hear somebody's life really sort of like impacted by a a teacher, uh, a professor, a mentor like that, I think it's really really cool. So somebody after all these years was like, "This is something you could do." Yeah, and yeah. just reached out. Yeah, she contacted me in the morning. I applied in the afternoon, and I think I came on board with Food and Water Watch within a week. That's that's incredible. or maybe two weeks, but something like that. Yeah, and and so <clears throat> obviously you had um sort of an interest in, and of course, because of where it is, an interest in, in poultry waste specifically. And was that something that you pitched to them or they said, this is a big issue, which it, it is. But like, how did that, how, how did, uh, how does that prioritization work with the national group? Because I'm sure some of your colleagues in other places are talking about sort of other issues, whether it be, you know, water in California or, you know, other issues around the country. Right. Um, actually, I was hired specifically to deal with these, uh, the one uh, anaerobic digester in Seaford specifically. I see. Which, when I was hired, it was going through the approval process uh, for Sussex County government, um, which is it has since received the approval from Sussex County government. But I was hired to organize people in opposition to that project. It's since extended to include another project uh, closer to Georgetown. And... Uh, Back to an earlier question you asked, how, how it helps being part of a national organization. We actually employ people in a lot of disciplines, but one of them is the law. And so we have legal resources, and we're taking Sussex County government to court um, over their decision to approve uh, or to continue the approval of the plant near um, Georgetown, which we believe expired in August and they believe did not. Are there any other? Um, so this is the, this is a sort of a single issue uh, campaign at this point. At this point, yeah. At this point, okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I started the conversation out just about the development in, especially in Eastern Sussex, but Western Sussex too, really, and and Kent County now. I know somebody just moved to like a new development in Smyrna. Um, a uh, good friend of mine's parents uh, are retired, and they moved uh, from Indiana, from the old homestead, uh, down to uh, Millsboro, I think. Yeah. Because my friend uh, lives here in Wilmington. They have a grandchild, so they just wanted to live closer, but they chose, you know, a community in Sussex, a new community. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I think these kind of issues are going to be are going to be huge because, you know, the, the – the, the the big factory farms have had have held sway pretty much because that's you know the big capital interests and job creators I'm doing my my air quotes job creators are going to hold sway but you know when when um, when people have uh, start to have big big investments which is the only reason they're building these homes right I wonder how that's going to sway sort of the political situation it seems to be that Eastern Sussex is far more progressive or liberal, whatever word you want to use, than Western Sussex, uh, partly because the people moving there come from places like New Jersey and Pennsylvania and New York and D.C. Um, and have different politics to begin with. But secondly, they came there for the, the environment, for the, the appearance, and now they want to protect what they've purchased and developing on their own. 
Um, I, a side story. One time when I was a journalist, um, I covered a fish kill on Indian River. And I went down to a community meeting to talk about these fish dying. And somebody said, well, it's all these people moving in here, putting in septic tanks. It pollutes the river. I mean, I bet 50 people on my road have put in septic tanks since I did in 1992. Well, this person was contributing to it too. But when they all move in, they don't want anybody else to move in, which I kind of support. But they definitely have, um, they don't like the smell of the poultry farms. So it's becoming Western Sussex, which is more conservative, versus Eastern Sussex. The entire county is Republican. I mean, in the leadership of the county council. Yeah. But um, it, it seems to be trending more progressive in the East. Yeah, I mean, I've, it's it's interesting because that's one of the things. So I mean, you're a you're a Delaware native, and uh, we're probably about the same age. I'm I'm in my uh, we'll say my younger forties. Yeah, I'm in my later 40s. Yeah, but we're about to, we're, yeah. we're probably almost the same age. Yeah. Um <clears throat> talking about like probably the most the the most progressive sort of statewide politician that we've ever had really, I think, uh is uh, Russ Peterson. Oh, yeah. The, the governor who uh championed the Coastal Zone Act. Uh he was a uh, criminal justice reformer as well. Uh, and he was a generally a, a progressive type of, uh, of of governor, although he was he was a, a Dupont executive in, mm -hmm. his, in his private life. Uh, he was a Republican, though. Um, so there is a tradition of uh, sort of Republican conservative values to the to the to the land or to public resources. That's a little bit different than a corporatist uh, sort of look at public resources and I, I i always wonder whether that's i mean and you you know you probably wonder it all the time because you're interacting with people whose politics may be conservative but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not they're not moved by environmental causes mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. their own their own environment you know what's going on in there you know around where they live you know what the water's like what it smells like how many people are there, you know, what the traffic's like, whatever, whatever, however yeah. it impacts them, regardless of whether they have sort of reactionary politics or social positions, the environment is something that they, they may be open to discuss. Do you know what I mean? Right. Uh, someone from the uh, Libertarian Party of Delaware reached out to me on Facebook one night and said, I had just had a kid and now I'm concerned about the drinking water down here. And I'm going to hold a meeting uh, on Monday night. I wasn't able to make the meeting, but uh, this is a libertarian who's holding an environmental meeting. When, when pushing for my agenda, oh, that's probably a bad way to phrase it, but advocate. No, it's not, that's actually not a bad way to phrase it. Uh -oh. We have an agenda. We're very clear about it here. We are uh, trying to uh, make the world better for people. And right. we're not trying to turn things into commodities. So right. We can, we can say that openly. There's no, no issue. Good. When, 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 Fighting against the biogas plants in Sussex County, I find less interest when I say this is going to affect the climate than when I say this is going to bring 150 to 180 trucks a day to a small road in a somewhat residential neighborhood, in an agricultural residential zone. It's about close to 70,000 truck trips a year. When I mention that, people get concerned. When I mention the drinking water, people wonder if their their well is polluted by the poultry industry as well so that def definitely does seem to bridge the partisan divide and i know we had a meeting in um seaford in december where we invited people to fill out uh postcards to governor carney and um i won't name any names but one of our people there was definitely a outspoken trump supporter and i mean we welcomed her there we were glad she was there she was uh advocating for you know responsible environmental policy and uh was concerned about our community so you know we didn't say oh you're you're you wear a red shirt instead of a blue shirt you're not welcome yeah and I, and again i think the the situation is such where these are the people that you're going to be organizing with mm -hmm. and the fact that they kind of like they ha they're a fan of a tv show which is sort of what it is kind of apprentice 
Well, ye or 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 the or the Trump presidency. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah whatever yeah. it is. But yes, both of those things. I mean, for some people, I don't think there was much of a differentiation between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Being a fan of The Apprentice and being fa- a fan of Trump on TV when he was president, I think for a lot of people, it's the same thing. And I don't necessarily like that's just what it is. Like I'm I try to. I'm not really even being judgmental about it. I just think that that's what it is. But I also think that that gives people the opportunity to say, okay, look, I get it. These people you think are this, and you like to do what you like to do, and you think the guy's funny, but um, these people are poisoning your water. Um, they're, you know, as you said, they're not only are they building, you know, 115 houses next to my friend's property, um, but what's that going to do to traffic? What's it going to do to his, just his, his, uh, you know, you move you move to a place like that for a particular reason. You have a right. you have a you have a particular a particular thing that you like, and so that's you know that's an end with people to get them political and away from like sort of the show, the sort of ideology or lack of ideology that just says that I'm either not political at all, or if I am political, it's sort of like on television. You know, yeah. it's the face, a cartoon sort of political. This is a real thing that affects people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because, um, and I also wanted to ask about, particularly, I know that the 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 Seaford biogas plant, but a lot of these um, situations happen acutely, very close to, of course, where the poorest people are, right? Um, where immigrants are. Um, so, what what is your uh, what has been your experience in organizing and talking to the immigrant community, really the working class and poor community? Um, sort of how, how is that how's that going? Or people who sort of rent and don't own anything necessarily, yeah. you know? So that's that's a big thing too, and I'm wondering sort of how that how that plays into all this. That's a great question. Um, the community within a three mile radius of the Seaford the proposed Seaford plant is lives in poverty at three times the rate of the average Sussex County and, and it's composed of people of color at twice the rate of the average Sussex County. I wasn't in the boardroom when this location was chosen, but part of me thinks this was intentional, less pushback. Uh, I, in August, I went door to door in a in mobile home community near the proposed facility and a, almost no one spoke English. Um, it was a predominantly immigrant community. I, I went with a, a, a Latina activist, Sherito uh, Calvacci Mateco. I know her. Yes, everyone she's knows a, her. She's a uh, she's a bunker veteran. She's been on uh, she's been on the podcast. Oh, wonderful! Yeah, yeah she's. Yeah. I went with Sherito and and some other people who spoke Spanish, but primarily Sherito. And we went door to door, and these people were so wonderful. It was a very hot day. They invited us in, offered us something to drink, um, sh- introduced us to their kids. And in our conversations, it came, it, it came up, of course, that's why we were there, but that they didn't know anything about this proposal. They hadn't heard about it. Uh, even the uh, white business owner um, of a fishing and tackle shop uh, directly across the street from the uh, facility um, hadn't heard about it. The barber a half a mile down the road hadn't heard about it. People just didn't know. It's been in some local media. Um, one of the television stations has covered it intermittently. Uh, the Cape Gazette has covered it periodically. You know, the Delaware Call, we're way out of the Delaware Calls area, but you guys covered it. And Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, and not to interject, one of the reasons that, I mean, yes, at this point you're out of the Delaware Calls area, we're trying to change that. We're, we're really looking to, we kind of talked about this yeah. uh, on the phone the other day. I, I really want it to be, not Wilmington centric or Newcastle County centric, um, so yeah, it's 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 a it's it's a deficiency that we have, um, and we I was so happy to be able to cover and Andrew Galvin did such a great job covering this story. We covered a story about um, an immigrant family who uh, wasn't treated that great uh, in the, the Cape Henlopen School District. Um, so we've we've covered a few different things um, and, and a couple political things around the Dover area, but yeah, you bring up a good point. Um, we did cover it in the call, and we're trying to do a lot more of it because well, I, I, I think all of – not only just environmental stuff, but um, 
we want to be sort of full up and down the state. Um, well, I, I wasn't trying to uh, criticize the call at all. No, no, no. I, I appreciate the fact that you reached out despite the distance when there are some very local media outlets that completely ignored the story. Um, the closest media outlets ignored the story. So back to what I was saying, the, the poor and immigrant community that lives near there hasn't heard much about it. And there's a language barrier in explaining it to them. I mean, it's difficult enough to explain to someone in English as someone who speaks English, but translating it into another language and reaching people is difficult. So with the Working Families Party, uh, we'll be going back. Um, we have at least two more canvassing dates within the next month uh, that we're going to go down and, and try to talk to people and uh, familiarize them with the issue. And That's fantastic. Um, yeah, one of the reasons, you know, I, I obviously I had seen, you know, and, and the the story from the call, and I know you were quoted in it as part of the uh, reporting. And yeah, when I saw that you were sort of collaborating now with the Working Families Party, again, I was I thought it was great because that's the kind of organizing we need to do. You know, we need to be able to take resources that we have to be able to support. Uh, issue canvassing that you're doing that's specific to an area um, and 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 do the thing that we were saying before and kind of like let people know that we want to we want to reach out to you the way you know we, we want to have somebody who speaks your language who is maybe f who's from here who can talk to you about what's going on here um, and and sort of connect it to a sort of a broader sort of effort um, yeah I think I, I was I was so uh, so happy that uh, I saw you sort of uh, open up that collaboration. It was really cool. Now, did you know yeah, that was through uh, Rachel Gregoire? Yes, Rachel. Rachel reached out to me um, maybe last summer again through Facebook um, and opened the channel of communication. She invited me to a climate rally. Um, it might have been early December, but in Newark, um, and then invited me to occupy occupy Biden. Um, on New Year's Eve to speak. And um, we've made contact with a couple of Working Families Party um, volunteers in the Seaford area, particularly Susan Clifford, who's running for office, and, and I hope to promote her in any way I can. But uh, Susan Clifford um, has gathered, uh, or she's distributed postcards for us and gathered signatures. Um, she's training other people to canvas. Um, she's really energized in fact uh, she had talked to me a couple weeks ago about uh, canvassing again and i thought man it's really cold <laughs> maybe maybe we can put this off until uh february and uh just yesterday she texted me and she said i'm going out for a uh, saturday can you come saturday's gonna be i think the coldest day uh, i was like well if she's gonna do it i'm gonna do it so nice. maybe maybe that'll persuade some people that it's, it's worth going out in the cold to talk about yeah i mean i i'm i'm really you know, I guess we'll we'll close it out with just like a sort of a casual conversation just about the political scene in Sussex because of the because of the population, uh, because of these really acute environmental issues. Um, I, I'm I'm just really interested in 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 what in, in the organizing that can be done there. I'm, I'm extremely excited by it. Yeah, I am too. And I I have found it's a lot easier to make connections in Newcastle, but that's because a lot of the groundwork has been laid up here and groups know each other. I mean, the activist community up here is pretty tightly knit. In Sussex, there's a couple of people here doing this and a couple of people there doing that. And uh, bringing everybody together around a common issue has been a little bit more difficult, but uh, I'm, I'm eager to work on it. Yeah, I mean, it, it is interesting. We have... Certainly, an apparatus in Wilmington and in Newcastle County, um, and not just um, you know, not just Working Families Party, but but Network Delaware, um, you know, the Urban League, the ACLU, you know, um, it really there's a lot of people are standing in solidarity with each other. We'll just put it like that. Um, but I, but it is sort of, and it's weird. I mean, it's not weird the way it works this way. It's it's actually makes perfect sense, but. We're starting to gain a foothold in Kent County. Mm -hmm. uh, I Network Delaware has a, a friend of show who will be in next week, I think, Ty Greer, 
uh, ties the the network uh, uh, organizer for Kent County. Um, we have Carrie Harris in Dover, mm-hmm. uh, who is just a fantastic uh, advocate and activist and um, sort of party person. I don't I don't uh, I don't put a lot of faith in the Democratic Party, but. I understand uh, as a tool, as an organizing tool, it's kind of part of it, especially in the electoral sort of realm. But we're moving in that direction. We're moving south. We're moving south. So it's not going to be. Um, it's not going to be Newcastle County centric. It 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 will have started here, um, just probably because of population and 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 material conditions. Um, but it's 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 only going to start here. Right. It's going to encompass the whole state. Yeah, I was part of a meeting last night with Carrie Harris um, for at organizing people to push for the Green Amendment, the Delaware Constitution. Yes. And most of the people in the meeting were from Kent and Sussex. Um, she had reached out to Newcastle and obviously wants to involve Newcastle, but it, it was heartening to see the southern part of the state represented, uh, you know. Yeah. And, and, and again, I go back to Russ Peterson. It is an issue that people will respond to, even if they're, you know, conservative. Now, if they're reactionary, it's going to be different. You got to you got to sort of approach that whole thing in a, in a in a different way. But this is sort of one of the huge issues that is going to help bring the whole state together. I think. Um, so I'm I'm incredibly excited about it. Well, uh, before we go, why don't you um, can you give some information about the organization? The website, how people can get involved, what sort of uh, projects are happening right now, whether they be in the political realm or elsewhere, where people can sort of like uh, get involved in the stuff if they if they are so inclined. Sure, um, I direct people first and foremost to our Facebook page, um, Food and Water Watch Delaware. Um, today, I'm knowing that I was coming up here, I made sure that we had a speci- specific item pinned to the top of the page. We have a message action generating the electronic messages to Governor Carney, um, encouraging him to say no to these biogas plants. Um, the next step in the process uh, for these proposals is they need state permits. And we think that Governor Carney has both the authority and the responsibility to say no to them. So, so far we've generated over 200 uh, messages to the governor. We hope to generate more. Um, if someone goes there and clicks on the link, uh, it will give them a sample letter uh, to go to the governor that we provided language for, but they can customize it and put in their own emphases, uh, emphases. I don't, I'm not losing my language here. <laughs> and they put in their own focuses and uh, send a message to the governor. So I think uh, that's important um, that people go there and take that action. Another action that's pretty current is just um, Monday, we released a press release detailing the 35 groups um, from Sierra Club, Delaware Chapter, Central Delaware, NAACP, Working Families Party, um, and so on, that signed a letter or signed a letter to Governor Carney uh, telling him to say no to this proposal. So we released the press release for that on Monday. Groups can still sign on if they're interested. They'd have to contact me. They can do that through the Facebook page or at G. Layton. G-L-A-Y-T-O-N at F-W-W-A-T-C-H dot org. Um, they can look me up. I'm pretty easy to find or um, reach out to the Working Families Party. People there now know me. I'm part of their uh, Slack network, yeah. which is really beneficial. Yeah, and I have to say I'm so happy to hear you talk about um, you know Kent County NAACP because Floor McKendall is a, a, a friend of mine um, and, and talk about the ACLU and all of these different groups that um, that sort of fit fit this important issue into the bigger picture, you know this huge puzzle piece that sits right in there, you know Sussex County environmental issues, you know it's it's huge, and I I I feel good that the right people are working on it. Um, yeah, the Occupy Biden thing actually sort of uh, I think was extremely successful in at least getting people who are in touch with it anyway. Uh, a little bit sort of more information that things are happening. Yes. You know, it's always going to be a niche thing. Like, I get that. Uh, but any kind of any kind of media, any kind of traction you can get 
um, and doing something, you know, for a week's time that was a that was an encampment and a real occupation, I think um, was a huge success for this whole, you know. This whole oh, I, I agree. I mean, even Fox. Well, you, you were there. You were there for just the. Uh, I was the just there on New Day. Year's Eve. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, New, yeah, New Year's Eve. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't. It's because of the drive and some other obligations. I wasn't able to come up much, but on New Year's Eve and yeah. um, definitely trying to keep in touch with Karen and the other organizers for whatever comes next. Yeah, for sure. Sure. Well, Greg, thank you so much for coming in. I, I very much appreciate it. Um, it actually uh, lifted my spirits a little bit. Uh, when I talk to somebody who's doing this kind of work in Sussex, um, who's also like tuned in to all the networks that I'm familiar with who are, are helping to like push resources in that direction, get more eyeballs on stuff. I love it. Great. Yeah. It's so super. I really appreciate your time, Rob. You've been great. Yeah. We should talk about, so you were an English teacher in high school, Dover high school. Yeah. What was your, did you do like, some sort of British literature or Western literature or like what did you teach? I, prim I primarily taught the 11th grade, so American literature, at least that's what uh, 11th grade is at Dover. Okay. And I taught some some British for uh, 12th graders, but mostly 11th grade. So American literature for 11th grade when you taught it, was it like Nathaniel Hawthorne and Emerson and stuff like that or was it like uh, 20th century? What, what, what did you, what, what kind of books did you teach? It was sort of a... Um, Survey course, um, we started out with things like uh, the Declaration of Independence. Okay. Um, and moved on up to thing, things. Sylvia Plath in the 60s might be. Uh, oh, like, nice. The bell jar, getting yeah. people all real depressed and getting yeah. ready to fucking put their head in the oven. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, that might be the most modern that we cover. Okay. But, I uh, mean, that's uh, that's that's a certainly a genre of something that introduced high school kids to, for sure. Right, right. So, um it was it was a survey course and covered a lot of things. Spent a lot of time um, talking about um, the Crucible and the Red Scare. And oh, so you did of, some plays and stuff. Yeah, so. okay. yeah. We, we, it was uh, poetry, fiction, and uh, or poetry. Yeah, fiction and fiction and playwrights. And, yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's funny. I just I just I had never. Um, I mean, I knew it existed. I had never seen it before. And uh, at my parents' place, uh, we were at the shore um, for a week. And I read uh, the Eugene O'Neill play, A Long Day's Journey in the Night. I'd never read it before. It was uh, fascinating. I was I like, oh, this is one. great. Yeah. It's, apparently, he um, it's sort of semi-autobiographical, but uh, it's it, you can see why it would be a really good stage play as well. A lot of tension within like one little – a lot of those sort of like uh, mid-20th century male or early early to mid-20th century male American playwrights are like – Sort of the same, you know, it's like uh, they all have that, like, death of a salesman sort of right, feel to right. them. Um, but it was interesting, yeah. No, I, I, I just, I'm, I'm very interested in, um, I'm interested in reading and literature anyway, but also just, like, getting kids into it. Like, I, I'm, close right. I'm close friends with a woman who um, teaches AP English. I think she's the chair of the department, the AP English department at, at William Penn. And so I'm always, like, interested in what she's teaching, um, like, advanced uh, high school students. I just find it very interesting because I didn't, I didn't really get into reading until, to be perfectly honest, I didn't get into reading until after I was out of university. Like, I mean, I read what I had to, right. you know, but it didn't, I didn't do it for, um, like, edification or enjoyment. So I'm always, like, really interested in that. Right. I, I kind of damaged myself i guess because i have a, a bachelor's in english literature and a master's in english uh, creative writing fiction oh nice and so i had to read so much for school that when i was out i was like man let's keep this as short as possible uh, that might have led to my my foray into journalism but I, I i read a lot of shorter stuff now and i i keep intending to read more of the classics but uh time gets in my way time and and my attention span get in the way. Yeah. Here's what I'm going to recommend. Are you familiar with John Barth? Yes. Yeah. From Cambridge. Because he's from Cambridge. That's what I was going to say. So a lot of his shit, like when I got into like really sort of like uh, metafiction, uh, I read a lot of Barth and it was just cool because his most famous 
story is a a car trip from Cambridge to Ocean City, Maryland, and um, it it's a, just this you know it's a pretty famous story, but it's cool because they go into like the they go on the boardwalk and you're like I know where that place is. Yeah, that, it's interesting you say that. One of my college professors knew I was from the Delmarva Peninsula, and he and this is a guy who. Like to dig whatever he did, he liked to dig into it as thoroughly as possible. Yeah. He's like, "Here's what you do: after you get your degrees, you become a PhD. You you do a study on John Barth and do a book, photographs of every location in all of his novels. Yeah, you could be the Barth guy. You could be yeah. the, the 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 country's uh, biggest Barth scholar. Yeah, or that, you could, or you could be an environmental activist. Right, right. That's what either one. You actually, you could probably do both of those things. Probably, I'm 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 halfway through my lifespan, so there's yeah. there's still time, perhaps. Yeah, I guess this is a t- <laughs> you can do it all. Yeah. Well, Greg, thanks a lot for coming. I appreciate it, uh, folks. You know how to reach us. It's at Highlands Bunker on Twitter. Go to the Patreon, Patreon.com/slash The Highlands Bunker. Throw us five or ten dollars a month. Support the uh, support this cause. You know, I'm trying to put good work here together for you. A lot of you are freeloading. And you know, we see you. We see you. Um, yeah, uh, happy birthday to uh, one of the number one organizers, uh, Kirsten Walther. Thank you for those cupcakes. They were uh, they were dope. I'm actually going to eat another one uh, in about five minutes. Um, we'll see all you guys later. Left is best. <laughs> <laughs>